Five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast in partnership with Kidney Care UK, sharing faith, knowledge, hope, and love. Hi, and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. My name is Dee Moore, and I am a kidney warrior. This podcast is dedicated to encourage, educate, and inspire as we explore all aspects of kidney disease, related chronic illnesses, and health. If you have any questions or ideas for topics you would like me to cover, please get in contact with me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. My guest today from London, England, is consultant transplant and vascular surgeon, Dr. Jeremy Crane. Dr. Jeremy specializes in kidney and pancreas transplants and vascular surgery. Dr. Jeremy is the president-elect of VASB, the Vascular Access Society of Britain and Ireland. Dr. Jeremy joins me to talk about the Save Your Bane campaign and bane preservation. Hi, and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. How are you doing today, Dr. Jeremy? I'm absolutely fine, Dee. How are you doing? I'm good. I am really excited about today's interview. I have been actually posting about this very subject recently because after being encouraged to do so by one of the amazing nurses at the hospital, I have made the decision to have my blood test done through my hands. So I've been sharing about that on Instagram and TikTok and Twitter and social media. So I genuinely am looking forward to learning from you. So yeah, I'm really excited. Great. Excellent. So we're talking about the subject of saving your vein. And in the introduction, I said that you are a consultant, transplant and vascular surgeon. So just a quick question to begin with, and that is, what is a vascular surgeon? Okay, so that's a good question to start with. A vascular surgeon is a surgeon that deals with blood vessels. So essentially arteries and veins. And a transplant surgeon is pretty much more obvious in the fact that it's a surgeon that transplants, you know, kidney, pancreas, liver, etc. And in actual fact, those two specialties are very closely related because it's all about operating on blood vessels and plumbing, so to speak. So I did most of my training in pure mainstream vascular surgery. And I switched to transplant surgery towards the end of my training. And then what I did was, is I sort of dovetailed those two specialties. some sort of, in a way, a hybrid surgeon doing vascular and transplant, which actually is perfect because it means that my interest in vascular access surgery really grew from my knowledge of vascular surgery. So it held me in good position. So in my centre, which is Imperial College based in West London, I'm the lead for vascular access surgery as well as the transplant surgery. So that's why vascular and transplant are so both important to me and integral in what I do for a living. We're going to start, like I said, from step one. Why are you encouraging people to have their bloods done through the back of the hand as opposed to the arm? Because Let's face it, when you go for your blood test, the first place that the nurse or the phlebotomist tends to go for is the arm. So why is it important to go through the back of the hand? Okay, that's a brilliant question because it's the fundamental question. 
And the answer is relatively straightforward. And that is because when a patient is nearing the time for dialysis, we make for them something called a fistula. And a fistula is when the surgeon connects an artery and a vein together. And what happens is, as you remember probably from biology GCSE, the arteries are pumping blood through the body and veins very passively take the blood back from the limbs, from the legs and the arms and passively take it back to the heart. And what we do is if we divert the fast flowing blood from an artery into a vein that lies just underneath the surface of the skin, that vein strengthens as a result of that fast flowing arterial blood and it becomes strong and it becomes like a super vein. And that super vein is a fistula. And what that means is, is because it lies just close to the surface of the skin in a what we call a superficial manner, it means that needles can go in for dialysis, two needles for four hours, three times a week, one needle taking blood away into the dialysis machine. The dialysis machine, as you know, clears all the toxins and cleans the blood. And it's returned by the second needle. And that super vein, that fistula, can withstand those needles three times a week for about four hours and be ready for the next session. And it's actually a miracle of the human body that we can make this. So going on to your question, why take blood at the back of the hand and not in the elbow crease where everyone tends to go straight away? It's because those veins in your elbow crease are what we use to create the fistula. And if you have lots and lots of blood tests in those veins, in the crook of your elbow there, the veins become scarred, become fibrosed. Sometimes they clot off because they get damaged from having needles poked into them all those times. So if a patient has blood taken from the back of their hand, it means that they're preserving those all important veins that they may or may not need in the future. But there is a high chance if a patient is going to moving towards dialysis that they will need them in the future. So that's what it's all about. It's about preserving those really important veins that the surgeon is going to use at a later date to create a successful fistula. Right, that makes perfect sense. A lot of people comment on the post that I've done say, oh, the back of the hand, it, it looks so painful. Oh, the veins are so small in there. It, it'd be too difficult to do to the back of my hand. What would you say to them in that instance? Well, that is a really common reaction to this campaign, the Save Your Vein campaign. And my answer is as follows, is that we actually did quite an in-depth analysis, a questionnaire analysis on the pain involved in taking blood from the back of the hand compared with the elbow crease. And in actual fact, what the result showed was that it was more of a perception that it was going to be more painful than actually being more painful. So for example, I mean, listen, I put my money where my mouth is, right? So for the occasional time I have a blood test here and there, I say to the phlebotomist, please go to the back of my hand. And from my personal experience, it doesn't hurt more than the elbow. In fact, I think it hurts a bit less because in the back of the hand, a trained phlebotomist will use a little butterfly needle and really it's not a big deal. That's my feeling. Others might have 
different views and some people will probably want to go to the back of the hand straight away because everyone's got different perceptions so in answer to your question on the whole it's not more painful and if you think it's more painful try it and see what you think that's what i would say to a patient that goes oh no i'm not doing it because actually it's worth it so try it and see and most people will have veins at the back of the hand which are sufficient enough to have a blood test through a small butterfly needle for example speaking personally i've had a few blood tests through the back of my hand now i can actually say personally that i agree with you it is actually easier through the back of the hand than in the arm you mentioned about the save your vein campaign and so i wanted to talk a bit more about that because for somebody listening and hearing that for the first time, could you tell me a bit more about the Save Your Vein campaign? Yeah, of course I can. So I started at the Hammersmith Hospital, West London, about 12 years ago as a consultant. And we have a culture in the hospital and in the vascular access and the dialysis program is that we were using huge amounts of what we call central venous catheters or lines and nowhere near enough fistulas. And I came in as sort of the lead into starting up the vascular access program there. And there was a culture of just not really caring about fistulas and about, you know, the before and after. But the reality is the before bit of making a fistula and undermining the whole program actually is vein preservation. You need a good vein to make a good fistula people were unaware of a practice of vein preservation. So I was working with my junior doctor, Dr. Christine Hall, who originally was a pharmacist and then did some junior doctor stuff with me and has now gone on and become actually a very famous cosmetic surgeon in London, combined with she does sessions in the emergency room. So she's a fantastic doctor. And the two of us together decided we're going to do this campaign. And initially, a patient that I'd operated on gave us some money to push forward with a campaign. So we did all our own designs and it was sort of these very basic you know, lanyards and patient alert cards and a few bits and pieces. And we designed it ourselves. In fact, it was sort of very yellow and blue Ikea looking stuff. And what we did was we spent a week going through all the different dialysis units in the area, a bit like a roadshow, talking about it and promoting it and driving everyone mad. It's all about vein preservation. And we did a questionnaire study before and after in two separate units. So there's no bias. And we found that once you talked about it and gave people this different paraphernalia, then actually they started to try and practice vein preservation. And we knew we were on to a bit of a winner here. So we went to Kidney Care UK and they gave us a good amount of money. And then we went to a design agency and they created the most fabulous designs for us and in the hospital sadly there were many healthcare professionals that just didn't get on board with this campaign because it was sort of changing the dogma you know it was changing the way they did things and and sometimes changing a culture it's a bit like turning an oil tank around and so the design agency became an integral part of this campaign really really clever guys and what we did was we got all the different designs for the campaign and we held a big meeting. But in that meeting, we invited everybody. 
we invited everyone to be a stakeholder in this campaign. So we invited managers and nurses and medical students and patients and surgeons and renal physicians. You name it, they were invited. And then between us, we thought about the best designs and the best graphics for the different paraphernalia, for the wristbands, etc. So really, everybody had buy-in. And so people found it much more difficult then to start complaining about it because they were part of it. This has dragged on for a while because, unfortunately, I've also got a day job, so to speak. So we've got these fabulous posters and lanyards and patient alert cards, which is a bit like a credit card that a patient carries in their wallet. One side for them, if they don't feel empowered to say to the phlebotomist, please take blood from the back of my hand, they can hand it to the healthcare professional. And we've got fabulous wristbands. And the wristbands are made not bright red or really bright colours, very quite subtle, about save your vein, about vein preservation. And we're at a point now where I'm going to start handing all this lovely stuff out to patients. But instead of just doing it en masse and giving it to everybody, I want to get some outcome measures. I want to see what people think about it before really letting it loose out there, just so we can get some data from it. And that's where we are. And because there weren't any other places doing such a campaign, lots of other units have jumped on this and said, look, can we have some of this? And the answer is yes, we're going to share this love because everyone is in the same boat to an extent because a culture of vein preservation isn't being practiced the way it is. But Dee, I know I've talked a while in, in this bit, but I just want to tell you one thing that really was so exciting to Christine and I after all the hard work that we did was that in America, there's a group of physicians that write the worldwide guidelines for kidney care. It's called the Kadoki Guidelines. And in those guidelines, they included our Save Your Vein campaign. And they put in a link to our website saying, if you want to know about vein preservation, these guys in England are doing it. Check it out. And that, to me, was the greatest accolade that we could have got from this campaign that we put so much work and effort into. That's fantastic to receive that endorsement. Congratulations. So what if you're having your blood test and the phlebotomist turns around and says, oh, I don't know how to take your blood through the back of your hand. What would you say to them? Well, I'll be honest, that sounds a bit far-fetched, but it's actually not. It does happen. So I'd say a couple of things. I would say a phlebotomist that doesn't have to take blood from the back of the hand isn't a phlebotomist worth their salt, right? So that's number one. Number two, I would explain to them why this is so important to you as the patient. And number three, I think sometimes a bit of charm and a bit of cajoling and they'll do it for you. I can't see them not. But the thing is, it's a very, very valid point. And the reason it's valid is because, you know, when people get entrenched in a way of doing something and the first reaction is to go to the antecubital fossa, you know, that elbow crease, and you're asking to change, people don't like change. They just don't like change. They have entrenched ideas and ways of doing things. And suddenly as a patient, you're coming along saying, do something different. Some will say, yes, great idea. I'm absolutely with you. And others will say, no, that's not how I do it. They don't like to be told. So I think that it's about gauging the situation very diplomatically. But on the whole, a decent phlebotomist, and some of them are so skilled, will have no problem whatsoever in taking the bud from the back of the hand. <laughs> 
So for somebody who's considering hemodialysis, obviously vein protection for them would be absolutely vital because they're going to build a fistula. But for somebody who's chosen peritoneal dialysis, is there still that benefit for them to have their bloods done through their hands? I mean, what happens in that situation? So that's a really important question. And it brings us to an area that we need to think about very carefully. And particularly for patients with kidney failure, it's not about the here and the now. It's about looking to the future. So it's not about this year or next year. It's about the next five years, the next 10 years, the next 20 years. You know, there are many patients that are young with kidney failure, you know, and the prevalence of kidney failure is on the rise. There's no doubt about it, particularly with, you know, the age range of about 65 years old. If you look at the United Nations statistics, looking at the world population, that particular demographic is on the rise in a big way. And so it's not about thinking about, oh, I'm going to have PD. I don't need to preserve my veins. Because my question to you would be, well, hold on a second. You're going to have PD for a couple of years. You might have then a transplant that might last you 10 years, right? So say you're 50 years old. So when you're 60, you might then need hemodialysis. But if your veins are scarred and are ruined, it doesn't matter what time it is through your dialysis or your renal failure career, you need those veins. So actually, whether you're going to have PD, whether you're going to have a transplant or whatever, you need to preserve those veins. And I often get that response and patients say, well, I've got a transplant. Well, we all know transplants don't last forever. Some do. Some last for decades and they're incredible, right? But some don't. And it's not a failure of a modality. It's just the nature of having kidney failure. And so at some point, you might need those veins. The reality is, it's a little bit like insurance. You know, we take out car insurance. We might never need to call the insurance company in a year before renewing. But it's there in the background in case we need it. And it's the same with veins. They're there in the background in case you need them. Hopefully you won't, but you might. And that's so important. So those veins are important in whether you're having PD hemodialysis, whether you're pre-dialysis, or whether you have a transplant. Is there anything else that you can do to help protect the vein? So obviously we've discussed about going through the back of the hand, but is there anything else that you can do? Like, I don't know, creams or I know for some patients who are on fluid restriction, they can't drink extra fluid. But if you're not on restriction, would drinking extra fluid help? Or is there any creams or anything else that you can do to help preserve your veins oh so that's a really interesting point that d so in essence there isn't really from that perspective but there is something that you touched on in terms of doing something and that is not necessarily on the part of the patient but on part of the team looking after the patient and one thing that happens in particular when there's a dialysis unit or a transplant unit with lots of sort of satellite units or involving primary care. And that is, there's often too many blood tests that are taken that are duplicated. So if you have a blood test, your GP surgery, for example, you go to the hospital for an outpatient appointment a week later, they'll do another blood test. But the reality is, you say, hang on, you want to see what my kidney function is? But I had it a few days ago at the GP. Why take another blood test? 
for no reason. So there's a bit of work to do behind that point because what we could say to the patient is have a blood test passport where you take it around with you. So you had a blood test a few days ago. Here's my GFR. Here's my crassine levels. Here's my hemoglobin levels. You know, do what you will. Now, obviously, in an emergency setting, things change really quickly. And even if you had a blood test two days ago, you still need another blood test. But often, it's not about an emergency reason for having a blood test. It's about looking at a trajectory of your kidney function, for example. And whether it's done five days ago or a day ago doesn't make a difference. So the reality is we need to stop duplicating these unnecessary blood tests. And let me tell you, it happens across many, many units. And that's something that is a whole new project. Would you say that patients should maybe challenge that if they've had a blood test yesterday or within a week, say, actually, I've had that. Could you call the hospital or could you call my GP? Is that something that they could do? Absolutely, yes. And it's interesting because... You know, when we talk about the professional patient, which I don't really like that term at all, but patients with kidney disease become very knowledgeable about their disease. You know, it's complicated and it's chronic and there's a lot to take in. But kidney patients, they do take it in and they become that type of patient that really understands their disease in a way that others don't about other disease processes. And so patients become involved in their care, they become empowered, and they often have really good relationships with their clinicians who they see very, very often. I feel that of all patients, kidney patients have a great voice to say, stop, I don't want a blood test today. I had one a few days ago. Let's have some joined up knowledge here and joined up thinking. Find out what the results are and let's not duplicate. And I think that, as I say, of all patients, Kidney patients are the group of patients that, you know, feel empowered to say things like this. So what happens if you can't take blood from the back of the hand? Now, that is a million dollar question because that's what happens. Sometimes those veins can get sort of damaged with time. So after some careful research, and I'm actually in the process of actually writing universal guidelines for vein preservation but in that situation what you would then do is you would allow the phlebotomist or healthcare professional to take blood from your elbow crease but you'd ask them to alternate the elbow creases and the reason for that is slightly more complex in that when you make a fistula for a patient you tend to make it in the non-dominant arm because that means that the dominant arm will be free during the dialysis session for reading a book or using the TV controls, et cetera, et cetera. But what we found in my unit after making hundreds and hundreds of fistulae is that in actual fact, the dominant arm in a quarter of all cases is actually the arm that we use for a fistula. So on that basis, if we preserve only the non-dominant arm, it means that in a quarter of cases, we damage the veins that we were going to use anyway. So on that basis, if you can't go to the back of the hand, we would like you to rotate sites. And that's quite a new sort of doctrine that's come out, a new mantra. But that is the thing to do 
if you don't have any veins left at the back of your hand. Are there any other parts of the body other than the elbow crease and the back of the hand that could possibly be in this rotation? Not really, not really, because 99% of all blood tests are taken from the upper limb, from the arms. In an emergency situation, sometimes we take it from the leg, for example. But I think that this Save Your Vein campaign is really predicated on the upper limbs and the arms, where, you know, if you go to a very busy phlebotomy unit in the most busiest teaching university hospital in the country, you will notice that 100% or 99.999% of all patients have a blood test in their hands and arms. So this is what really the project is based around. I know that you're very active on social media. So what are your handles if anyone wants to follow you online? My Twitter handle is at Jeremy Crane MD. I tend to use Twitter a lot because I think it's a great way of getting new information out there both for healthcare professionals and for patients alike. So the reality is you're going to find me on Twitter at Jeremy Crane MD. And if you follow me, then you'll learn probably quite a bit more about vascular access and vein preservation and such like. So today we've talked about protecting your veins as a kidney patient. We've talked about the importance of going through the back of the hand. If that isn't possible, then alternating between each elbow crease. We've talked about why it's so important and encouraging people to speak with your phlebotomist or your nurse. And if they're not, you know, so enthusiastic about doing it, we've talked about how we can get around that because ultimately what we want to do is future-proof our veins, make sure that in the future when they're needed, they're nice and healthy because, as I've said many times online, Our veins are literally our lifeline, so it is so important that we take care of our veins. I wanted to leave the final word with you, Dr. Jeremy. So what final words of advice, stroke, encouragement do you have for the listeners? Well, I'd like to pick on something that you just said, which is really great. I love that word future-proof, because that really sort of encompasses what this campaign, Save Your Vein, is about. It's about future-proofing those veins because as you say a vein can be your lifeline if you're on dialysis and a fistula is as important to a patient on dialysis as a kidney is to a transplant patient a transplanted kidney is so on that basis is about future-proofing and remember i like to use the word super vein for a fistula and that super vein is going to be your lifeline And by following the rules of vein preservation, you are only helping yourself for the future. Thank you so much for joining me and for sharing this information about preserving our veins. This is so important and this information will help so many people. And I know that this campaign will do really, really well. And I hope that this podcast will also help raise awareness of this area. So thank you so much for joining me. You're very welcome, Dean. And thank you also for helping get the word out. It's podcasts like this which are so extremely important. So many congratulations to you as well. Thank you for listening to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. And don't forget that you can contact me on social media using the handle 
Diary of a Kidney Warrior. Please do subscribe to the podcast and please do tell a friend. New episodes of this podcast are released every other Monday. Until next time, take care and choose to live. Diary of a Kidney Warrior. Sharing faith, knowledge, hope and love.